for listening to today's episode. Episode 50 is with Bella Reeves. Bella is the strongest, most courageous woman I have ever had the privilege to connect with. She's a mum, social worker, domestic violence survivor, domestic violence advocate, and 2021's cast member of Adventure All-Stars for Rise Up Australia. Trigger warning, this episode is surrounding domestic violence, abuse, and trauma please contact 1-800-RESPECT if you are in need of immediate support. I have also listed several support services in the show notes of today's episode. Bella Reeves has been through the absolute unthinkable and amid her trauma and healing, bravely opens her heart and shares her story and survival through domestic violence with her online community and today shares this story with me. This episode is incredibly raw, vulnerable and emotional. I just want to say to you, Bella, thank you so much for sharing your truth and your story with me. I'm incredibly proud to know you and I hope and I know that your story will give someone the support to know that they are not alone. As I mentioned at the start, if you are someone who is in need of immediate support, please contact 1-800-RESPECT, but I have listed more support services in the show notes of today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am absolutely wrapped to have you here. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so, I feel honoured to be here with you and sharing my story. Oh, I think I'm, you're amazing. Thank you. I think you're amazing. Oh, um, stop it. Not this little love affair we've got going <laughs> on. Um, look, I would love for you to share just first before we go into the big the big chat that we're going to have today. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about you and your present life for the listeners that don't already follow you. Um, so I'm a mum of two. I have a six-year-old boy and he's just gorgeous. I absolutely love him and adore him, obviously. I'm his mother. Yeah. <laughs> raising um, a man. A, yeah, raising a beautiful man to be a beautiful man, yes. Mm. Oh, in whatever he wants to be, actually. True, actually. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, and then I have a beautiful daughter. She's so intelligent. She's so smart. She's 16. She's 17 next month. And I'm been with my fiance for 10 years at the end of this year. And wow. he's just absolutely gorgeous. But my life is, is just full. It's full. It's good now that I'm out of, you know, all that trauma. And I still live with the trauma, obviously, but I'm out of that situation. Um, my life has just become so much more impactful on me and empowering and, um, I've got a lot of love and support around me. So my life has changed dramatically in the past, like, you know, 10 years. Yes. And I know that, you know, the work that you're doing just on Instagram alone and the support that you're giving so many women, you know, all over Australia, from what I understand with just delivering your message and just telling yeah. them they're not alone, like that is so impactful to so many people. And I imagine that's really impactful to your healing journey too. Absolutely. Like when I began my, um, you know, the Instagram journey and sharing my story in 2015, um, it was it was to honestly help. I only ever wanted to help one person. I always said if I get out of this relationship and I can help one person, then I'm, I'll be happy with that. I never thought or, you know, I never even imagined that I would go this far and help so many people. And just I think sharing our stories are a complete strength and our our vulnerabilities are our strengths and I just never want anyone to feel alone and that you know obviously people are at different points in their lives and they're not ready to share which is totally understandable I was once there but um I think sharing with people is extremely important and I, it gives people hope of that there is you know, light outside of those situations and we can move forward as much as we'll always carry the trauma and, you know, we'll always have to work on that. There is a life outside of the, you know, whatever you've been through and it doesn't need to define your life. Yeah. I like that you just touched on there that our vulnerability is our strength. Did you feel that way when you started opening up on Instagram in 2015? No, like I, I did not okay. for the first six months. No. I mean, when I first began sharing in 2015, my, you know, my, domestic violence story it was very intense and there wasn't that many people that were sharing their stories like now it's amazing it's incredible it's so empowering because everybody is not everybody but you know what I mean like a yeah. lot of people are coming forward they're speaking up they're like no we're not going to stand for this 
um, and sharing their stories, which I think is just incredible. But when I did start, um, it took me a while to realise, um, even realise that I was in a healing part, even realise what I was doing. I used to, um, you know, I'd hit posts and then I'd, I'd have panic attacks, like, oh, my God, for hours I'd be in tears, like, oh, my God, I just shared that. People are going to read that, like, yeah. And, yeah, over time it just the more I shared, the more easier it became and normal because of the feedback I'd get from other people and people reaching out to me and I'd be like, okay, what I'm doing is is doing something. You know what I mean? When I first began, like I'd get like, you know, 10 likes on my page and maybe two comments. Yeah. And then slowly over time I just built the community and people started reaching out to me and I was like, wow, so you know, people are sharing with me, like, this is what they do want to see. But I originally started just so I could help one person and to heal myself, to help heal myself. Because when you do share, it is incredibly healing. It really is for not only you, but for the person reading. Yeah. And knowing it, it resonates with just one person. I really respect that that was your, your mission with what you, yeah. you know, I think that that's always been one of my main, main things for myself personally with having a podcast. And um, it's a conversation my husband and I have had frequently over the last 12 months, because I do have to bring myself back and humble myself back to, I just want one episode to support one person. And yeah. if he does that, then I've done my work and realizing that that means success and that's fulfillment for me because you can get so lost in you know numbers and comparisonitis and all this shit with having yeah. your media account and having a hundred percent like you've got a grown organic social media account that you've worked really hard to to reach the scale that it has and I know that because I've watched you for so long now and I know the effort that you put in and I know how hard it is building a community and then creating content that's valuable to people and it can be really overwhelming at times. Have you been since starting your journey with the whole Instagram thing and sharing such personal parts of your life? Have you found um, Instagram to be a trigger for you emotionally? Um, yeah, like I mean, I'll always have triggers. It's about obviously now I have tools in place that I've got my boundaries and where I put my energy. Like it is, it it does become triggering, but um. More so, you know, a few years ago, it would be more triggering because I hadn't done the extra healing work. So like now I can, you know, I read so many messages that get sent to my DMs, you know, people reaching out to me and sharing their stories and it is triggering. I'm not going to lie. It is definitely triggering, but I just have to, um, and I don't want to take myself away from it, but at the same, I can't, I can't help that it does impact me. It impacts me to, you know, do more. It would like be heavy, heavy things to read. And then, of course, you'd be, you know, reflecting on experiences, I suppose, that might have been of similarity and, and feeling the heaviness again and yep. like a cycle of heavy through through your heart that you then have to go through the day and like move on with your day. When we turn off our screens, you know, when I read a message and I turn off my screen, I get on with what I've got to do. But for you, I would imagine that would be really heavy to open and then so heavy. Like, oh, fuck. Like, how do I get on with today? 100%. Like, and I, you know, I use like breathing techniques, you know, um, I'll, I'll put, I do a lot of music and a lot of singing. Like I just, music is, is healing to my soul. And if I'm ever feeling any particular way, it could be, you know, angry, sad, happy, whatever way I put music on and instantly it makes me feel better. I start singing and dancing and just, you know, crazy Bella. <laughs> I do. Yeah. But yeah. I just, um, yeah yeah it is it is triggering yeah definitely is triggering but I wouldn't change what I do I love what I do and I love helping people I love giving people hope and you know just for them to remember why why they're doing what they're doing and yeah. it's okay to reach out and there is help yeah and I know that Instagram's given you an opportunity, I suppose, to go into work outside of social media with domestic violence. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, so I'm currently, we've just fundraised $18,000 for um, the charity Rise Up Australia. Amazing. Yeah. So in August, I know how incredible, hey, I just, the power of community and people, like before all of this, like I've just just restored my faith in people and community. Like I've always loved community, but it's like, you know, just to see that people have just reached out and, 
and donated and like you know backed me even it's so hard for me to take credit because I find that really difficult but even just to back me and be like we're we're gonna help you you know what I mean when I first started fundraising for Rise Up Australia we had a I had a $10,000 goal and I was so anxious and scared and worried that I would raise like $600 or something. I really was. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to raise all this money? And then just, just the magical people, just magical people. Everyone came together and just supported Rise Up Australia and supported me. Um, But yeah, so in August this year, we go to a secret location. I don't know where we're going but that's with Adventure All Stars. So we get to go on this crazy ass, exciting adventure, which I'm just, I just, uh, it's only starting to sink in now that I'm going away on this adventure with all these incredible people that I cannot wait to physically meet because we've connected online, but I cannot wait till I meet them all. They're all just so incredible. Um, Yeah. And so that's raising money for domestic violence. That's what I'm doing currently at the moment. And I've been studying my community service, mm. um, going, you know, going into my community service diploma, which I'm really excited about. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And I know that you also don't talk about it often, but I know that you've helped women on social media relocate and rehome and you've supported, yes. you know, something like 27 women or something last year you helped. And that is just mind-blowing when I read that that out loud to my husband and he was like she did what (laughs) awesome chick like look at what she's doing she she doesn't paid for that she doesn't do that for anyone else and she's gonna change their lives for no reason you're the best like it's seriously the courage and the bravery that you that you show in having to heal your all of your own heaviness is incredible like it must be a rewarding feeling to know that you're changing lives literally so rewarding I don't take it for granted I don't take it lightly that's for sure but I do um you know I just I never feel like I'm doing enough like I honestly I know that sounds just crazy because you'll be like you're doing so much (laughs) yeah I could help thousands of people and it'll never be enough to me yeah like I I don't take it for granted because these women that two men, sorry, and women and children, um, they were, you know, I helped them with the resources that they needed, the steps, put the plans in place um, while letting them know that they have to make the decision. No one can make that decision for them, but I'm here to support them along the way. And yeah, that's, we just connect by online, people share their stories. And then I just give them the resources that they need in their areas because, you know, it's Australia wide, there's, um, you know, national numbers, but each, um, you know, states and suburbs have their own domestic violence support services. So it's, I'll usually, if someone reaches out to me and asks for assistance, I'll usually ask, um, you know, confidential, I'll explain this is all confidential, confidential, um, and I'll explain, you know, um, can I can I have your state and your suburb so I can, you know, look for resources in your area. Amazing. Yeah, so, um, Amazing. yeah, it's usually just trying to find the resources for that specific person in that their area, which I think is incredibly important. It would be such a big thing. I was going inward on this last night actually and because I was thinking about the people that you've supported to relocate and basically leave their existing lives and, you know, start again. And I think it would be such a big thing for someone firstly to feel so connected with you on social media that they message you in the first place. Like that is huge. It's a privilege. Um, it's an absolute privilege and honour and I just I don't take it lightly at all. It's a huge responsibility too, Bella. Huge incredible that you're able to carry that person through that oh through those decisions so you should be really proud of yourself because <laughs> so much good work and I, could- I said I wasn't gonna cry today oh. but for you know that's a lie <laughs> that's a lot this is Bella <laughs> we talk about she cries all the time <laughs> oh it's good your emotion is good it's it's you know you've got a genuine heart Bella and it just sort of shows oh, amidst all of you. the pain and suffering that you've been dealt you've your character your truth is kindness and compassion and it's just so beautiful to see in a person that's been dealt so many difficult cards yeah I mean I could I I've spent years um you know being depressed and feeling sorry for myself and not wanting help 
I wanted to sit in my bed. I wanted to cry. I honestly wanted to feel sorry for myself. I wanted to be like, why me? I done all the why me? What did I do? I didn't ask for this. I'd cry and cry for days, like mm-hmm. for years, bloody, bloody years. <laughs> and then you just get to a point where you're like, no, I deserve more. I deserve better than this. Like I should not be letting this consume me, which takes a lot of inner self-work to even get to that point because the trauma is so ingrained and so deep inside you. You can't see anything past like life. Like you're just like, I can't do life. And then, you know, you get to a point, well, me personally, I got to a point where I was like, I can't sit around. I can't do this anymore. Like I've got my family, I've got, you know, my kids, you know, I've got to, we've got to push on. We've got to get up. We've got to push on. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know how important that would be, I suppose, to your babies, your daughter to have seen that and to see that strength in her mom. Like I just think that's incredible because there would be sadly so many people that aren't able to rise like you did and you have, you've risen and you've rebuilt and, you know, with that it just it would have been able to show your daughter what she's capable of and what yeah definitely definitely and I love that so just taking it back a little bit for us to get the backstory I suppose and go inward on this this conversation um you are a domestic violence survivor of nine years can you yeah. get back to how that all started you were 18 was that right when you met um yes partner? yes oh, when so I met Kate so I was 18 I was um living with one of my friend's uncles so I was kind of like, you know, I just become not homeless because I moved in with my friend's uncle. He was like in his thirties and I was 18. He was such a lovely, respectful man. Uh, I lived at his house for about three months and then I met Caitlin's father, my daughter's father. Yep. Um, he, I stayed at his house for like, you know, the first three nights and then he wouldn't let me go home. He said, you're, you're not going home. You're, I want to look after you. I want um, you to stay with me. And I was like, oh, my God, somebody loves me. Somebody wants to love me. Oh, my God. Like I was so um, just I wanted to be loved so much. I was so alone and I just needed to be loved. Yeah. And, I mean, the first red flag with him was like week three we went to this motocross event on the way back. He was talking himself up and I said, okay, you have to talk yourself up, just muck around, you know what I mean? And he literally lost it. This was three weeks in and he like, anyway, he like, he laid in front of the road and said, if you don't be with me, I'm going to kill myself. And I just freaked and said, get in the car. And then, um, yeah. And that was, I was locked in then. <laughs> so how long after I, like that you guys were together, did you fall pregnant? Was it years later or months? No. So we met in, what was it, October? It, was, it would have been August 2003. And by November, I was pregnant with my daughter. So yes. it was only a couple of months and I was pregnant. And, how was and the, the abuse be, began as soon as I fell pregnant. Oh, Bella. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing this with us. Um, what? What, uh, what was next for you guys? I know that you had a business and I know obviously then you had carried and birthed your daughter. Was Did you carry and birth her safely? Was there any time throughout that pregnancy where you were so fearful for your life that you did remove yourself? I know that you did try to leave. Yes. That was a bit of a lot of the questions in one question. but Yeah. All of this no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, so... Um, when I fell pregnant, there was many incidents. He would try, he would chase me down in car, like in his car down the road. And I'd be running past houses up and down the, you know, little driveway patches running and he'd be screaming, I'm going to kill you. Um, he tried to kick me in the stomach while I was pregnant. Um, the whole entire pregnancy, he said the child, like, it's not my child. Um, you cheated on me. Like, I, I, I don't, I just can't understand that because I was never out of his sight yeah. to be able to do anything but it was just the control he was trying to put in my mind um so it was really it was a really heavy heavy pregnancy um I mean docs were called my next door neighbor she was a a department of community you know services for children um she reported him abusing me and docs came around we had an interview and whatnot and you know I just look back and I think yeah, actually, we, I sat there and I was like, you know, everything's fine because I was petrified of him. Yeah. But everything, everything wasn't fine. You know what I mean? So we just, I just made out as if it's, 
It's so heavy when I look back and think of all the things where I protected him because I was so scared of him and, you know, you want to think that you can change this this person. I'm like, I can change him, you know. It's all going to be okay. Um, and it just got worse and worse. I left, you know, seven times. The seventh time was the time I didn't come back. But when my daughter was 18 months old, I mean, yeah, it was two months old, sorry. She was two months old. We went away on a trip to Queensland with a couple of our friends and um, he ended up getting into a big fight with them. Um, we left the hotel. It was Indy, Indy 2000 or whatever it was. Um, we left the hotel and he drove, he wouldn't let me drive his car. We had Caitlin in the back. She was two months old. Um, and he drove from the Gold Coast to Byron Bay, completely drunk. Oh. He wouldn't let me out of the car. And he wouldn't let me drive. So I'm, I'll never forget this. We pulled into a petrol station and we need to get fuel. And he was that drunk that he filled up the car that when he, took, when he went inside to pay, I jumped in the driver's seat and he just naturally thought I was driving the whole time. Oh, wow. That so, yeah, it was, it was so, there's so many heavy times. Like it's hard because there's so many different times. So to talk about individually each time would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of incidents but you know and then there's just so many incidents like did you have anyone reaching out to you other than your next door neighbor that called docs that on that one time did you have any support that knew what was going on and turned a blind eye yeah absolutely so I had my um you know, I mean, I love my auntie. She supported me so much. Um, she took me in a few times and I think it just got um, too much for her because I kept the communication with him. I wanted, even when we did separate, I would keep the communication. He'd send me messages and it's like I would reply back hoping that he'd realise I was teaching him a lesson. If I leave, then he'll realise what he's lost and he'll change. And, you know, I can, un- I can understand, you know, my, it was a lot for my auntie to take on because she was so supportive. Like he came around and tried to attack my uncle, my auntie. Um, you know, he took Caitlin. I, I, you know, I'm, I was on Christmas day. I said to him, you know, you can have Caitlin for half the day. I'll have her for the other half. And when he picked her up, he took her and he said, you're never seeing her again. And I just, I freaked because I was like, but I'm being fair here. Like, I'm letting you see her on Christmas day. I could have said no. And, you know, I look back and I should have just cut all contact with him, cut all contact with him. And, um, you know, but it was just, I was trying to just think of her. Yeah. And you before my feelings were traumatized and, you know, it, it, I can't imagine how hard that would be to feel and know that this is wrong and instinctually, uh, you know, your gut instinct to be, this isn't right. This isn't healthy. This isn't how someone gets. Yeah. But then it's like an out of body response to be like, but I can't, 100%. can't leave it. I won't leave it. I'm never going anywhere. I, I cannot imagine that the the battle internally, like the friction there, push and pull constant survive, survival mode and, and flight or fright. Like it must've been um, not only heavy emotionally, but physically you must've felt really heavy. I know that in that time too, you have touched on that you did battle with some addictions yeah quite prevalent for you both yeah share a little bit about that um so basically I was on drugs a lot of the time to just get through the day really did he um, introduce you to that no I've I've I was you know took drugs in my you know early teens late teens yeah. but it became more frequent when I was with him yeah. so um you know speed ice ecstasy Ice became an, an everyday thing for probably about eight month period. Yeah. It was I'd wake up and I'd be smoking it. I'd go to bed, be, you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I don't Rarely slept, rarely ate. Um, it was just such a, I thought I was in control of my life while I was on it. I honestly did. I was like, you know, I'm doing fine. I've got a business. Like I was running a ex- huge successful business while I was smoking ice you're a function yeah oh yeah absolutely yes definitely and I I thought I was a functioning addict I thought I was doing everything right but you know it just wasn't I I felt like you know the drugs were just a band-aid to make me not think about what was really going on absolutely escapism yeah and then you know my addiction with alcohol I just every day every day I drunk from the moment I woke up 
I was drunk. I it was such a heavy time. I just don't even know. I look back and I think, oh my goodness, like yeah, that's a lot of a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, Bella. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like you survived that. That's part of the trauma, I think, too. Like the drugs yeah. and the alcohol were your way of coping because you didn't have the skills, you didn't have the resources, you didn't have the support. Like I, I, I won't obviously can't mention names or anything like that, but I can draw an experience a little while ago where I had a friend that uh, I was really quite close with and we're not friends anymore, but um, her husband was physical with her once on one occasion. And other than that, it had been quite an emotionally abusive relationship for time and I knew of that stuff and I didn't turn a blind eye I didn't like it but I you know I'm everyone's got their own story there's two sides to every story and I'm not one to go in you know um with guns blazing in someone else's home um and the final time where that incident did happen and she confided in me about that I was like right that's it no more this this and I'm telling this person what to do and how we're gonna you know get her in that situation and the, the thing is she had no desire to change or leave or or end that relationship and she wanted to stay. So you, as you've said just earlier, you cannot make someone leave when they're not ready to leave. You have to do it. Absolutely. Yep. You were leaning into the things that were giving you support and giving you enough to stay because you weren't ready. So there's traumas with just the the addiction side of things as well for you. Yeah, 100%. Like, um, the addiction was honestly just a band-aid to get through my day-to-day life and just to be able to function and, you know, clean my house and do things, look after my daughter. Like, um, and then, yeah, it's just, it was just too much. My, you know, um, just, it's just a lot. It's just honestly a lot. I just look back and I think, how did I just, how did I survive all that? Like, how did I survive everything every day? Well, that's what why why I would label you as a survivor because yeah, you you have an inner strength and an inner knowing that not even you back then could have physically embodied, but you did somehow. Oh. Your your mind just pushed through and you got to where you are today because you, you do have that strength. And it's extremely important that people know that no one can force you to leave. We can all encourage people, we can support, we can be there, you know. But if so, you ninety percent of the time, if someone says tells you to leave you will distance yourself from that person because it's not what you want to hear and you you know that that's what that person thinks so you're like I don't want to hear that he'll change he you know I can help him but what I learned through the whole process of every single time I left and came back he gained that little bit more control over me and he knew I wasn't going anywhere and the abuse became more I wasn't I didn't teach him a lesson you're not teaching them a lesson by leaving they're not they're not just going to snap out of it no. that, and change. Like it will actually get worse because they know that you've left and come back and now they have a little bit more control over you. And the abuse, it does. It gets worse over time. You think you'll change them, but it doesn't. It gets so much more intense, so much more physical. You know, I always say um, I'd rather, I would have rather have been punched in the face than the emotional and psychological abuse. Coercive control is the worst abuse you can heal from a bruise you can heal from you know yeah you can heal from bruises but the scars that it leaves inside your soul is worse than any of it and it's not it's not illegal to um in australia for coercive control someone can you know call it just just isolate you belittle you call you names like just crush your entire existence make you feel like nobody loves you nobody um will ever love you I always got told you know oh no one will ever love a single mum like that no one's gonna love you all your friends tell me that they hate you anyway like mind you I I think I had like at the start of the relationship I had about two or three friends like that would pop over every you know not all the time but every couple of weeks every month and then i honestly believe that it got a lot for them to be witnessing this they're you know we're now you know late teens early 20s yeah. and they're out living their life you know going to you know parties and clubs and and then they come visit me and like he wasn't shy to not be um psychologically abusive in front of my friends yeah. like he tried to attack one of my friends one time because she stood up um, stood up for me yeah. it's just yeah it became a lot honestly <laughs> Oh, wow, I can't. Yeah, it's it's heavy. But then eventually, I lost all all of my friends. You know, that was 
I, in my mind, I'm like, it's, it was too much for them. It was yeah. too much for them to take on. Yeah, and I can understand that because the, the disconnection in the friendship that I had um, after, you know, I, I suppose that she closed the chapter on our friendship because she didn't like what I had to say. And I, I respect that. And we've reconnected since and like healed old wounds and things and it's all fine. And I, I don't have a close relationship with her, but to know what I know now, I think if I was um, in the presence of that a similar circumstance or situation, I would try to remove my judgment and my personal beliefs away from it. And I would simply want to be like a, a, an ongoing support for someone. Is that yeah. what you feel like you would have needed? Just someone there and when you were ready, like to be there for that seventh time or 10th time, whatever it was, just know that that person would be there for you when you were ready. Do you feel like that's what you needed? I do, honestly. I just, I mean, I didn't have my mum, never met my dad. So all my family are so estranged. You know, my friends, I'd lost all my friends. So the only friend I had was his mother. I was allowed to um, hang out with her and she became my friend, which in turn she was the one that used to tell me all the time, leave him, leave him. That was her own son. She'd tell me to leave him. And I'd just be like, just was so blinded by I knew what was happening. I knew it was wrong. I knew what he was doing was wrong, but I just, I wanted, honestly, I was into this. I need to keep my family together. You know, I grew up without a father, you know, and he had me convinced that, oh, every guy's the same anyway. So even if we did separate, you'd probably end up with someone just the same anyway. So what's the point? You might as well just stay with me. It's so like, I was like, you knew he was shit when he was saying that to you. Like he knew that he was a shit person. And 100%. Person. Like, yeah. you know, what a, hundred percent. And then I'm just like, yeah, just, I, the last three years of the relationship, I just hated him. I despised him. Like I, the first, you know, five years, I loved him so much and I wanted to change him and help him and, you know, just, you know, make him realize what he's got in front of him and, you know, all this kind of stuff and, you know, drugs were involved. So, you know, it was just a lot of, a lot of shit that happened. Um, so it made my mind a lot more, not as strong as what it would have been if I wasn't on the drugs. If you, if you look back, were there any good times? Honestly, I've, I've spoken this about my partner before and I said, you know, I always tell people, you know, weigh up the pros and cons, you know, they're obvious, there should have been good times. And I look back and I cannot remember one time. I'd say my birth when I had Caitlin, it was 76 hour labor and all he did through the whole labor was abuse me. He, security guards came and everything. He threatened to knock out of a, he threatened to knock out a nurse. Um, it was just intense. So there was never any good times like all the events that we go to like went to the Easter show one time with his parents and um with his mum and her partner um and by the end of the afternoon he was screaming in the middle of the street in Homebush um saying calling me all these names because he was stressed out um and he couldn't obviously handle his emotions so he just become in this rage crazy person so his his mum left with out like Caitlin my daughter and um she took her took her home and I don't know in my mind I'm like why didn't I go with them instead I stayed with him to try and calm him to make the situation better because like if I can make the situation better then it'll be just everything will be calm I was always trying to be like it's okay like I'm sorry I'm sorry I love you that that was my thing I'd be like I'm so sorry I love you why please don't do this why are you doing this that would make him even more angry so no, there was never any good times, and I'm not saying I'm not just saying that because he because I don't like the person. I am 100% genuine. If there was good times, I would say you know what? we had some great times. There was he was a good person. Sometimes there was no good times. Yeah, was it learnt behaviour? Do you feel that he developed this lack of regulating his emotions, his inability? Well, so I mean, he he comes from a pretty troubled background himself. He's you know. He's, he lost his father. His father was a, um, you know, a drug addict himself. Yeah. Um, they separated, you know, in his, I think he was like eight or nine. And so he comes from a pretty troubled background. There's a lot behind that. It's not my story to share, but he does come from, I feel like it was, he never had the support to try and understand his emotions. So it just turned into rage. And sadly it's a cycle of this, you know, these generational men. trauma yeah and it's ongoing and I've I see it 
it's so prevalent still and it's so hard to watch because you're just like, are you aware that you're doing this because your dad did this? Yeah, his dad was, his, his, his father was abusive too, yes. Yeah, yeah, wow. And so take us back to the time, I su- take us back to the day and the final moment, I suppose, where it was the seventh time where you left. Yeah. Can you share what happened that day that was different to the other six? Okay, so so for like I already knew I was like, I was done. Like I, when that moment comes over you, like I would always pray. I don't pray. Like no disrespect to anybody that does, full, res- full respect to anybody that does. Um, but I wasn't a praying person. I would just be on my hands and knees, bawling my eyes out with my palms together, saying, please, God, I will do anything I will never ask for anything again I just oh my god it's gonna make me cry (laughs) I just remember these times so vividly like every day and I'd be like just give me a sign just give me a sign please and I mean I separated from him in 2011 August and um I went to my friend's house in Sydney and it was at that point I knew it was over but I came back I don't know why I came back because I, I was like, maybe, maybe it's not the right time. You know, I, I just, I just don't know why I came back, honestly. And then it took to those three months. So from August, September, October, I left October, end of October, those three months when I came back, it was like, I needed to really know because I knew I wanted to leave in August, hundred percent, but it was like, I needed those three, bless you. I needed those um, three months to just go okay I'm doing this I'm definitely doing this he didn't have to know about it but I mentally had to prepare myself and plan and be like this is what's happening and it was the night before no two nights before that I had left and I found something on his phone um and he was you know basically cheating on me which wasn't anything new he cheated on me a lot throughout the relationship and I, he was in the shower and I approached him about it and he lost it at me. Like he absolutely lost it at me. It was just a message that came up on his phone. I didn't go into the phone. It just came up and I, I could see the message. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went to go to the shower and I approached him. I said, why is, the, who's this person? Why are they messaging you? And he was like, he just lost it and attacked me, like full blown attacked me. Um, he had, he put a knife to my throat and pushed it against my throat. He had me in between like the lounge had separated because he was wrestling with me and he put the knife to my throat and he said one slip to the left or you know to the side and I'll slit your throat and I was just tears streaming down my face like please please I love you and our daughter came out of her bedroom into the little it was like you know the door frame and she just screamed I've never seen a scream oh it just kills me (laughs) I've never heard a scream like it. And he, he, she went, get off her, leave her alone. And he just charged for her. He dropped the knife, but he charged for her. And it was in that moment where I was like, I've never seen him. He never hurt her. He never did any, he never physically hurt her. Obviously she's seen emotion, like seen everything. So that's a lot of trauma emotionally, you know, um, psychologically. But as soon as I seen him charge for her, I charged for him. Yeah. And, I'm, and I never, ever defended myself against him, ever. I'd always block my face, have my knees up again, just begging, please stop, please stop. And I can't tell you, but I already knew I was leaving. But in that moment, I was like, you just charged for our daughter. And he went into the room and he smacked her and smacked her and smacked her. Like, and she was just crying and I was like, oh, I just couldn't. And I charged after him. I jumped on top of him and I started hitting him and his friend came to the door and his friend walked in and I was like, it was like I felt safer because he was there and I don't know. And then he got up and no, I got up and I ran out the front door and cause I was petrified. He was going to retaliate and turn around and attack me. Um, and then that following day I went to work, like, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. You know, I went to work, but all that, all that day I was mentally preparing my mind. I'm leaving tonight. I'm leaving tonight. I'm leaving tonight. I've never had a more clearer and calmer decision come into my mind. It was, 
I can't describe it. I remember saying to some someone one time, like, when will I, when I, I, I want to leave, like, when will I know? And the lady looked at me and she said, when you will know and it will be the clearest decision you've ever made. And I'm just like, I'd, I'd cry and be like, well, I, I, I want to do that now. Like, I want to leave now. But, um, yeah, I, that will always sit with me because when I knew, I knew. There was no what if, there was no excuses that he could give me like he had given me the past night those previous nine years there was no excuse and then you know we went to work that day um everything was fine we done our you know tinted some cars um yeah opened the shop up yada 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 and then um I got home I can't went to school as normal I picked her up from school and then we got home and you know done you know the house duties cooked dinner and I was like okay how am I going to do this how am I going to leave so that night I waited till he went to sleep and it was about two o'clock in the morning and then I started packing my car up with just like bags of clothes, bags of clothes and little bits and pieces that were Caitlin's that would, wherever we were going, would make her feel a little bit more comfortable, like, you know, certain special things. And then um, I think it was about six o'clock in the morning and I woke Caitlin up and I said, <sighs> I said, um, go in, go out to the car, go to, lie down on the back seat and lock the doors. Do not open them for anyone. Do not even open them for me because I was so, I was so scared that he would, oh, I was so scared. I was so scared, but I was so ready. Um, and I don't know why I did this. I went back inside, like he woke up. He could hear, you know, car doors and like just movement in the house because um, I was so quiet. I can, I've never been so quiet in my life when I packed all that stuff up. I cannot describe it. I was like one step every like 30 seconds. I was like, you know what I mean? Anyway, um, and I told him, I said, I'm leaving. And usually when I, I'd leave him previously, I'd say, I'm leaving. I can't do this anymore. Why are you, sh-? you know, but I was so calm and he could see it in my face that I was leaving. And I said, I'm leaving, I can't do this anymore and I am leaving you. That's it, I'm going. And I went to walk out the door and he just grabbed me and threw me and so I ran out the back door. Um, I had my phone in my the side of my bra under my boob, like under my armpit and my car key, my single Holden Commodore car key. And I, I slept with it for whatever hour I slept, if that. Um, and then, yeah, he chased me out the back door and grabbed me by the throat and he strangled, like, strangled me and he said, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. You're not leaving here. And I, all I kept thinking of was what's he going to do to Caitlin? Yeah. Like what's going to happen to her? That's all I kept. And anyway, so um, he choked me till I fell unconscious and then I woke up to him slapping me across the face and then he choked me again. He'd done it three times. And on the third time I was like, I could feel myself going. Like I was like, I can't, I'm going to die. I'm actually going to die. Um, and I, there was like a garden, you know, those wrought iron garden little things that you put your pot plants on. There was a silicon gun on there and I picked it up and I just smashed him across the head and defended myself. And then I just ran, like I ran for my life, took the key out of my pocket and clicked that button and unlocked it and jumped in the car. The minute I jumped in the car, I smashed down the locks um, and, you know, locked all the central locking. Caitlin was screaming. She was so scared. He jumped on the bonnet. He jumped on the roof. He jumped on the entire car. He smashed it, punching every window, saying, you're dead. I'm going to kill you. And then I don't even know how I got the key in the ignition. I was like, my body was like shaking, like, I couldn't even get the key and it took me so long. And I was like, I got the key in the ignition and I started it and I slowly started to reverse out the driveway. And, you know, he's, he, I, he ran inside obviously to go get his keys. He jumped in his car and chased me for half an hour, pulling, weaving in and out of traffic, every set of traffic lights he'd pull in front of me, um, come to my door, start smashing my window again in broad daylight so many people around um and I just I just had to get to the police station as soon as I got to the police station I just collapsed I collapsed on the horn and it just went I collapsed on the horn and it and I just and the people came the police officers came running out the front and then he jumped out of his car and said she hit me in the head she hit me in the head and at this point I was like I don't care yeah I did 
I screamed and I was like, yes, I did. And get him away from me. And they took me inside and, um, yeah, there's a beautiful liaison officer in Danielle who helped me and just helped me with everything. She's still my friend to this day. And, um, the police were really supportive because, um, I was, I was just a mess. They were really supportive. And I know that's not the case for some people, but they were really, really good to me. Um, and then I went and, you know, after I, you know, reported him and gave my statement and, you know, I spoke with the Danielle, the liaison officer. Um, she gave me all resources and all the steps that I'll need to take and whatnot. I jumped back in my car. Um, Caitlin was with me the whole time. My daughter, Caitlin was with me the whole time. Um, I jumped back in my car and how old? I, she was seven. She was seven and petrified. Like, that's the part that hurts me the most is that, you know, that she had to see what she'd seen. Like, I grew up in domestic violence, but I didn't see it, like, to that extent. And it was just, just to know that that's what she had to witness. Um, and that was her dad doing that is really heavy because, you know, that's her, that's her father. We all want to love our parents. We do. And, we've got to change the narrative on what love means sometimes. Mm. And we've got to change the narrative on what family means. And I think yeah. if you look at it as the perspective of you got her out of there. Yeah. You didn't give her that trauma. You got her out of there. <laughs> no? You <Yeah>. did <laughs> And you're so brave. You are so brave just for sharing this with me. This is you know, such a, sorry, oh. I should all that up. <laughs> heavy and you should be just so proud of yourself, Bella. And then I left. Um, you're the best. I love you. <laughs> like, I'm so grateful for this today. Like, it's, I was so nervous, but you just made me feel so comfortable and loved and supported. So you, I love you. I really do. And I'm so grateful for you. Um, so, after I left the police station, I just went driving and then I seen one of Caitlin's school friends' mums. She was walking. She was on her walk, daily walk. Got her joggers on, off she's going. I'm like, I love this woman so much. Um, and I pulled her. I'd probably spoken to her maybe, you know, a handful of times, one, a couple of times. Um and I pulled over on the side of the road and I, I don't even know how I said this to her. I don't, this is the weirdest shit ever. And I, what an angel, what an angel. Like if someone, oh, I just can't. Um, I put over on the side of the road and I said, um, you know, her name, I screamed out her name and she'd come over to my window on the passenger side that I wound down and she said, um, what, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. Can I, can, can we come and stay with you? Oh. <laughs> and I, I don't even know how I got those words out. But um, she said, because she only lived around the corner, and she said, <clears throat> drive to my house now. She goes, you better be there when I get there. Oh. And I was like, I drove to her house, and she, you know, I could see her walking up, and I was like, there she is. And then she said, you can stay with, you can stay with us. You're not going back there. And I was like, without her, I, in my mind, I'm like, <clears throat> where would I have, where would I have gone? Like, I didn't have anyone. Like, I... You know, I, I could have gone to a refuge. Um, I understand that. But I was just under the mentality of, like, I didn't want Caitlin to go to a refuge. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have completely different beliefs now. And if it was back at that, I would go to a refuge. But I was like, I don't know. I just didn't want to go there. Yeah. I, did, I felt like I'd be stuck. And so I just went to some random lady's house. <laughs> that I've spoken to a couple of times and she was just my angel like she saved my life without her maybe I would have went back maybe after a month I would have been like oh it's died down you know I will go back um but yeah we stayed with her for a few months and she was just an angel her kids are beautiful she was a single mum like she's just I just can't stress how grateful I am for her she's still my beautiful friend to this day we obviously don't see each other as much as I'd like but yeah, she's just amazing. And then like people the, knew what was going on and they it might have been something that she already was aware of to, for her to have that sort of reaction immediately. Yeah, um, definitely, yeah. I think, um, you know, being at her house was really good because he didn't know where I was. 
where where when I when I fled previously, I'd go to like my auntie's house or a friend's, and he knew all of those people's house. So he would drive past, he would pull up out the front of their houses, he would knock on doors, bang on windows, he would threaten everybody in the house, he would threaten my friends, my family, everyone. And I think you know having that friend that didn't he didn't know was was my escape. It was my safety. I felt safe. When I was in her home, I was like, he doesn't know where I am. He doesn't even know her. That's amazing. The universe works in an incredible way. Just yeah. out walking at the exact same time as you're in this car on this endless drive. And- I don't know what I, where I was going. I was just driving and I was like, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do? Like, um, obviously I can go to the Department of Housing and see if I can get some emergency accommodation. I can get some food vouchers from, you know, Salvation Army or the local neighbourhood centre. Um, you know, there, there was support out there, but I, um, I was so lucky that I had a friend. Yeah, you touched on um, just before about that, Danielle, the liaison officer you mentioned. Yeah. For anyone that's listening that might know someone or them, they, they're themselves are in a situation that they're not um, ready to quite leave yet, what are their options? Who- so, you know, we've got, you've got your national like 1-800-RESPECT. Um, most of the time if you ring them, they will connect you to the services in your area. So it could be refuge, it could be emergency accommodation, which is usually like a couple of nights in a motel and then they'll move you to the next motel and the next one and the next one. So it's, um, and then you've got, you know, that's what 1-800-RESPECT do. They link you up to things in your Pacific area. Um, each, I could stop saying um, <laughs> I'm really good at that. Each each state has their own. Um, yeah, so I always say to people, if you can and you have access to a computer, to search and do your research research in the local areas for your for the services that can help you because they're all different. You know, um, I've got a piece of paper, so I'm going to read off it. But in the ACT, you've got um, domestic violence crisis service. You've got New South Wales, the Domestic Violence Line. You've got Queensland DV Connect, which are absolutely incredible. Um, Victoria, you've got Safe Steps. Excuse me. Western Australia, you've got Women's Domestic Violence Line. And there's just, there's different services for each state. So for someone that, you know, what is, what help is out there for them? There is help, but it's a lot of work. It's not easy and it, people need to be prepared that it is a lot of work that they're going to have to do and that can be daunting for people because you know who wants to fill out all these paperwork and go to all these appointments when you're you've just left this most traumatic experience of your life yeah. you need somebody else to be making these steps and supporting you with you um but yeah I think it's just more you can go to a community centre. So neighbourhood centres and community centres are absolutely incredible. If you just walk straight into one, they will help you. They will link you up to the services that you need, um, counselling, you know, um, as I said, food. Um, Rise Up Australia. Rise Up Australia, they they fully furnish homes. So most of these people are coming from refuges and they fully furnish clothes, like, um food everything in the house and set the whole house up so it's just really about reaching out and knowing that the services are there and just doing some research uh, research and you know but it's also really hard because how do you um reach out to people when you don't have access to a phone because he's controlling you how do you do that? Like I would suggest that you make an appointment with your doctor and explore just say that you're you're feeling sick you know, to your partner and you need to go to the doctors and go in there and, um, you know, if he doesn't come to the appointment with you, you know, disclose it to your doctor because they have a duty of care and they have to report it. Um, So there's a lot of different places where you can um, report what's going on. But, um, you you know, it's support out there for women in, in this circumstance in this community with all of these resources do you feel like they're doing enough no not at all absolutely not there's so much more we can do and you know I've I get stories all the time of people reaching out to me saying you know I've reported to the police and they won't do anything um, because he's not physical he's out but I'm isolated I have no money he take controls all of our money um 
I'm, I don't have any friends, I have no support and there's no way out of this. So then they ring the police and report it and the police say to them, well, because it's not physical, there's not really much we can do. So how does that person get out of their situation when to the government, Australia, to the police, um, you're not actually being physically hurt? So it's like it's, it's such a fine line and, you know, so much ha- needs to be changed. Yeah. Um, coercive control is the absolute worst and that's most of the domestic violence. And you, there's no, it's just really hard. There is support, you know, you can get counselling, but I don't know, I just, I, this one I really struggle with because unless you're being physically abused, it's, uh, it's so hard to seek help, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing those resources. I'm going to list all of that into the show notes of this episode for anyone listening that need something, um, they'll be there. And of course I'll connect them with your page for new listeners um, or new followers to you so they can see all the work that you're doing. Um, And of course, Rise Up Australia. Very excited to see you on our screen. I know. I'm so excited. Can't wait. It's going to be amazing. I don't even know where we're going. Like we're they're like they said we'll let you know a week before what you need to pack and someone told me that they're gonna trick us and tell us to pack warm clothes if we're going to a cold place and vice versa but they've got you know they've got the jackets and the parkers and all their yeah, stuff that you wear shit like you yeah wear stuff. yeah <laughs> you just pack both <laughs> but it's like to keep the suspense going you know uh, what I mean oh I don't God. think we find out till the day before okay this is where we're going yeah, so yeah. it's like what Wow. You know, I could be going to Western Australia or Northern Territory. Who knows? Could be jumping out of planes, bungee jumping. Not Newcastle because that won't be too exciting for you. That won't be until the other road. <laughs> I said the same to Rara. I said, imagine if they're like, okay, we're going to the central coast. I'll be like, I live here. <laughs> but I'll, I'll still be happy, okay? Not, <laughs> very grateful. Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful, but I'll, I'll be like, oh, I wish we could have gone a bit further away. Yeah. But I'm, I'm worried now because of the restrictions too. That's why Newcastle's not on lockdown. Are you coming up here? <laughs> yeah, I'm worried about because, you know, what's going on. The lockdowns are happening and restrictions again. Okay. And I don't know if they have exemptions for the – I'm sure they do, but, um, yeah, Rod did say that to me the other day. Oh, I hope the, you know, the TV – you know, Adventure All-Stars isn't going to be affected. And I was like, don't put that in my head. No, you worked so hard no, yeah. this whole year. It will happen. It will totally happen. It will all be over yeah. by then because it needs to be over because I'm going to Cairns. So, you know, yeah. we need this to happen. So. I haven't been on a holiday in so long. So oh, I feel like this trip is just going to be so healing for me considering everything that I've gone through in the past couple of years, since everything I've gone through in general. Yeah. But um, I feel like it's just going to be so healing just to connect in nature with just incredible people and have some fun and you know I'm always with my kids and my partner so it's just going to be good to be able to just do me for you yeah you yeah worked so hard for so long you've unpacked every possible thing that you could possibly unpack to to heal yourself and grow and expand and evolve and do those things yeah be the best possible version of yourself and fuck I can't imagine how hard that would have been so this is like a beautiful reward that you get to go away and spend some time with like-minded not people that are more than you like-minded people like you because yeah so you should be so proud I'm so proud uh, my friend did say to me the other day and she was like you need to give yourself more credit and I was like oh but you know, um, I wouldn't be anything without my community, but which I, w- I wouldn't be. I feel like I've come so far because of the support I have around me that I've never had around me before. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I do, I do need to, you know, acknowledge what I'm actually doing. I don't take for granted um, the stories that are shared with me, but at the same time, you because it becomes a daily thing, you forget the impact that you're actually, actually making. You're like, oh, I have helped all these people. And then you've got to remind yourself and it's like, you know, I just try to stay bloody humble, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely are. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bella. I cannot say I love you. sharing your story today. You are, yeah, as I've said a million times in this conversation, you are so brave and so courageous and, gosh, just a little bit of you in every single woman is all anyone ever needs. So thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you for having me today. I'm so beyond grateful. And what you're doing is incredible. Sharing people's stories and giving them a platform to, you know, share their stories is is just 
incredible. Like it's such a beautiful space that you've created, a safe space. And I just love what you're doing. I love following you on Instagram. I love what you post you put up. I just think you're a very strong and kind and compassionate woman. Oh. And I adore you. <laughs> I adore you too. Thanks, babe. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.